Hey, and welcome back to Podcast, the number one podcast for product teams. I'm really excited to announce the launch of PathToProduct.io. So Path to Product's mission is to bridge the gap in product management experience for aspiring product managers. The key challenge that aspiring product managers always say they have is getting the job offer because they don't have experience in product. So Path to Product is gonna change all of that. So if you're an aspiring product manager, sign up at path2product.io and I look forward to seeing you there. On today's episode, I sat down with Randy Smith, Agile coach, who owns his own Agile consultancy agency. And we discussed so many great topics around the anti-patterns of Agile. Right, Even if your product team is following agile practices, it really doesn't have the effect that it should if the rest of the organization isn't mobilized around it or isn't agile in and of itself. Right, So Randy goes through his process for how he helps organizations become agile to complement the agility that already exists inside of a product team. So a really great conversation, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So let's jump right in. Hey, Randy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, doing good. Keeping busy. Uh, in the Agile space, there's always lots to do and lots to learn. Just finished up a uh, Jobs to be Done, uh, an outcome-driven innovation class, which I'm looking nice. forward to applying to Agile Transformations. Very cool. Jo- yeah. job, jobs theory is definitely very interesting. So I bet that was a fun thing. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Cool. So um, to kick things off for the listeners, could, could you give an introduction of yourself and, and what you're working on today? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm an enterprise agile transformation coach. Um, I've got lots of certifications behind my name, um, you know, as a consultant, they always like you to have your certifications. So you can argue about the value of them, but you know, that's okay. We can, we can talk about that over Slack or whatever someday. Right. So for me, um, I am, I know a lot of agile coaches who are a hammer in search of a nail. Um, I am a much more pragmatic, uh, coach when it comes to agile and transformations. I like to meet people where they're at um, and uh, kind of work, work from there. So for me, mostly I find myself working with uh, Fortune 500 and, and 1000 companies. Uh, most of them are looking to scale agility in some way. Uh, so that's, my, that's the lens that I come at this with. Um, I started working with my first agile team doing what would become XP practices back in the late 90s. Um, it was just a blast had a lot of fun, created a lot of real value, made lives better, which is ultimately why I try to do this is to make people's lives better. Um, I've been doing agile transformations for almost about a decade now. Um, I started off as a scrum master, then became an agile coach, and I've been a part, a big or small part of agile transformations um, for a while. I think the number's about eight now, eight or nine. So just a lot of fun and uh, a lot of chance to help people. Very cool. And, and it's funny that, that you mentioned um, there's agile coaches and agile practitioners out there who are hammers in search for a nail when that seems to be uh, the antithesis of agility. Yeah. And there's a, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of frustration and anger with, with folks in the business and even with the development teams who are like, 
why are people inflicting agility on us? Why does the scrum master come in and blah, 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 blah. Yep, totally get it, absolutely. Sure. And I may or may not have done that myself. I tried not to, but I'm sure I did at one point, so I get it. It happens, it happens. When we get a good framework or a good process that works, we tend to try to fit it into as much as, much as possible, so it happens. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that we fall in love with the solution rather than the problem we're trying to solve. Yep, absolutely. Yep, and those, those frameworks in and of themselves or those processes, whether it's Scrum or Kanban or whatever, tend to be that, that solution that we can <laughs> fall in love with outside. Instead of looking at it from like, what's the, the job to be done for the team or the organization that I'm helping, right? Exactly. Cool. So along those lines, we kind of want to talk about like different anti-patterns inside of like agile and, and companies that are trying to, to leverage agile. Yeah. And so to, to talk through that a little bit, what are some of the forces that work against establishing an agile product organization? Yeah. So it's, it's always an interesting question. And again, I have my own kind of lens on it, but typically um, when I work with companies, it's more about, uh, focusing on organizational silos and focusing on utilization rather than focusing on delivery of value. And so you see that in your organization when they start talking about, well, you know, are our people 100% utilized? Do we have enough stories uh, to fill up the velocity? I don't really care what we're filling it up with, but do we have enough stories in there? And you look at it and you shake your head and you're like, okay, well, we need to have some more conversations. Um, there was a famous quote from the TV show Friends that I like, um, which is uh, um, thinking is what you do with your mouth closed. So um, I have to have to practice that as an agile coach um, because it really is all about the conversation. Um, so how do you get people to shift from a very siloed based thinking uh, and one that's focused on making sure that 100% utilized, people are 100% utilized versus um, really what value are we delivering? I mean, the whole point of being a product-led organization is to deliver value to our customers. But we just don't see that when we come in from, let's just say, a more traditional mindset. Absolutely. And, and so a lot of times these processes kind of start and stop with, with senior leadership. So yeah. what, what are the, some, of the, some of the misconceptions about Agile that you see um, from a senior leadership standpoint and, and what are some of those blockers to actually like making the organization agile? Yeah. And I, I guess the place that I would start for that again, coming at it from the, I'm not a hammer in search of a nail is that, um, you know, we, we need to have empathy for our leaders. Um, when we come in with agile, the very first agile transformation I was a part of, um, you know, we were bringing in people to, to help us assess, kind of agile scaling frameworks. And one person came in and he was talking away and, and one of the managers asked the question, I was in one of those big open floor plans, right? And one of the managers asked the question, so what do you do with managers in agile? And he said, well, we fire them and um, we have them apply for new jobs. And I watched all the managers on the floor, look at it and shake their heads. And I'm like, okay, you just totally lost your case there. So when we come in, we often uh, leave them with the impression that there's nothing for them to do. So I like to make sure that we have empathy for them. They've gotten where they are for a reason. We just have to help them kind of 
leap over the edge and see what it looks like. So, you know, again, those patterns, while well, we're focused on the organizational silos, whether they're, you know, marketing, IT, um, you know, testing, whatever it happens to be. Um, so that's a big one. Focusing more on that value delivery is a big one. Um, a lot of times we run into thinking that agile is a one and done. Um, you know, there's some magic, we're 100% agile number if we do daily standups. Um, really agile is a more or less agile conversation. Are we more or less agile? When you start off the journey, you typically think you're more agile, although you really are less agile. And then as you go along, that thinking flips. You are definitely more agile, but think you are less agile. So it's always interesting to ask that question as people go further down the line. A couple of other ones, um, you know, leadership engagement is an interesting question. Um, a lot of times they end up being too far down in the weeds. They want status reports. They're interested in individual team velocities and things like that. Um, the other side of that really is they're off minding some other part of the business and they don't really care what's going on um, in your in your product teams, which is an anti-pattern itself. I like for them to be um, engaged uh, investors in the product because they're usually the ones who are, are paying the money for it. So the other problem that we see is that they don't understand that going agile is a personal shift in the way that they're doing things. It's a shift in how they lead themselves and how they lead others. Um, they don't realize that it's a change process. There are actually uh, good certified agile leader trainings out there, um, but we just think about the process and that's really it. So those are some of the anti-patterns that I typically see uh, going on in organizations. Got it. And, and you mentioned something uh, kind of interesting, right? Because a lot of times when we when we talk about Agile, we think about Scrum and Kanban, and, and that's in the context of like a product team or a product organization. But you mentioned IT, marketing, sales, and it feels like even in environments that I've been in, right, where the, the, pro, the, the marketing team wants to prepare collateral and content and messaging and the sales team wants to know what they can talk about and when. And so they're expecting this very linear, like this is coming here. And so like the organization expects this waterfall type of, hey, here's my expectations and this stuff is coming. And then when things change at the last minute because the product team needs to be agile for whatever reason uh, and, and needs to pivot, um, everyone else freaks out. So what, what's some practical advice that you would give uh, to someone in a, a product team right now listening who is trying to help manage those expectations and manage um, cross-functionally that uh, that need for to be a, to be agile, even if it's not coming from the top. Like, how can we influence that at the product team level? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I like I said, I work with a lot of you know Fortune one, Fortune five hundred, Fortune one thousands, probably some Fortune fives in there too, for all I know. But um, one of the things that's a really persistent problem that we see, and we ran into it even in my first agile transformation way back in the day. Um, the, the primary thing is to organize either virtually or, you know, otherwise around value and speed of delivery. So what we see happens is the legal folks, security folks, compliance folks are brought in after the fact, UAT testing or whatever, and their feedback, while super valuable, really tanks the release 
and uh, just creates a huge amount of waste. So what I like to do is actually talk about getting a dedicated or semi-dedicated person into the product teams to help them identify those, um, let's just say, danger points or zones um, in the product as they're building it out. So maybe I could bring in somebody from security uh, to talk about what features we're building, get their opinion on it, see where the, the problems usually are. Now, we're not going to get that like every day or sometimes every week. But if we're talking about potentially doing like, a, uh, let's just say, or a 60 or 90 day release, those people are often more easily had, especially because they understand that their time is valuable and um, you know, they, they definitely don't want to cause the disruption that they end up causing. So those are, that's really the way that I look at it. Let's get them, get them involved early, shift them left. Yeah. So, so could it be as simple as, as saying like what we're planning on releasing this feature or this set of features, who is it going to impact in the organization? And, and let's go talk to them before we even get too deep into the code or start putting code down at all. Yeah, I mean, so I know we have on our agenda to talk about today some roadmapping stuff. I would like to get them into having a discussion of what the roadmap looks like. Um, because if we could put together a roadmap for them, even if it was just notional, not committed, then we have already started to, to deal with problems that will exist and try to actually get them not to exist. For sure, for sure. And so, um... You know, sometimes it feels like, you know, people say like we're being agile or, um, you know, and, and get bogged down to this process of like, oh, we got to release every two weeks or every two to four weeks, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, and then we get locked into these, you know, immovable two to three year product roadmaps, right? So yeah. it's like we're being agile in this like this micro level, but at a macro level, we're, we're still pretty locked into the, to the long term. So how do you balance roadmap planning with roadmap agility? Yeah, and I, I guess the, the word that I like to key in on in this is uh, commitment. Um, you know, we, we have this idea that uh, we can create a committed five-year roadmap, and I don't really know any organization, even in Waterfall, um, that uh, can actually manage to, to do a good job with a five-year roadmap. Life changes. I mean, you look at what happened with COVID-19, right? And, um, you know, whatever, you know, big portfolio plans people had and roadmaps people had, those things were just toast by March, if not a little sooner than that. So um, I think that the big key there is to keep your commitment simple. I usually like to think of terms in uh, like a quarter, maybe, but really it depends on how fluid your space is. So if you're in a very early startup, you know, then what you're really talking about is notionally, where am I going? Um, on the other hand, if your context is I'm rolling out, you know, kind of this large SAP thing, then maybe your, your roadmap's a little different. Um, one of the books that I always uh, like in the roadmapping space is, uh, Product Roadmaps Relaunched by Todd Lombardo and Bruce McCarthy. I think they did a really good job summarizing the problems that people have run into with roadmaps and why people just want to throw them out the window. I get it. I really do. Um, and the other piece, I guess, would be uh, just a fun practice. If people haven't used story mapping, 
uh, by Jeff Patton. I really love that. Um, to me, it's super simple. Um, it gives you this idea of how do I, you know, what's a release look like? What's the simplest possible thing that I could do to get value out there? So yeah. Those are a couple of things I would talk about. That, that's a great book, User Store Mapping by Jeff Patton. Uh, very good book. Yeah. Cool. So one of the other things I want to talk about, Randy, was um, feature request, right? So it, it can be very tempting to to let the term agility <laughs> allow you to be fickle, right? Yeah. Where someone can come to you with a feature request and you're like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go, let's be agile and go do that thing now. Um, yeah. What's the danger of that? And can you talk about like how um, like prioritization falls in and like how to think about that? Yeah, I think the part of the problem that we run into, and so just in my experience with agile transformations, uh, most of them will come from either an over control perspective. We must lock down that five-year roadmap um, and anything that's not on the five-year roadmap doesn't get done or they come into it kind of from an ad hoc uh, perspective. And we're really, we're kind of talking about the other side of that is that ad hoc perspective. Um, typically those organizations I see don't have a product strategy um, and they don't know where to go from that product strategy. So, um, you know, for me, uh, I often find that there are a couple of things that we need to think about. One, where are you in the product life cycle? Um, you know, kind of what is your strategy and what are the economics of the thing that you're chasing after? Um, you know, again, going back to that user story mapping, um, you know, when you when you go off and create a release, create a goal and then build a release around it, at least you've got something. Um, it also helps to know the economics behind what you're trying to accomplish. Um, I, a lot of times in big companies, they have this kind of feature factory mentality. I'm just going to create features whether they're useful or not. Um, you know, and again, kind of making that strategy a little more crystallized. Um, I like Christina Woodkey's uh, radical focus book, which really helps us talk about OKRs. So those are those are a couple of things. Um, certainly, you know, when work comes in, um, you know, we need to address it. You could go to the point of saying, well, some percentage of the team's capacity is going to be just kind of reactive requests. Um, you could certainly go in and um, you know do a deeper dive. There are lots of prioritization frameworks that you can use. Um, kind of my two favorite really balance the idea of the business value being created versus the effort it's going to take to create it, um, you know, which really gives us the sense of how do we try to get those faster wins rather than the slower ones. So my favorite frameworks there are Weighted Shortest Job First and uh, Rice. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. And you mentioned like strategy and how sometimes this lack of focus is because there's not a strategy, a product strategy or even an organizational strategy. Yeah. Um, and so like, I feel like even outside of strategy, like mission and vision can be something that's either just uh, fluff and there because people or companies think they need it. But how important is it to really have like a mission, vision, strategy, and then goals kind of all aligned um, so to anchor like what we do as, as a product team. Yeah, you know what those things, and I'll, I'll give it to you maybe with two lenses. Um, the lens that I think maybe most of, most of our listeners are in, and I don't know that for sure, you know your, your audience better than I do. 
but uh, maybe more of the external product focus. And I, it's hard for me to imagine having an external product without knowing what it is that you're going to solve. Uh, you know, what are you gonna do? What, what problem are you trying to take on? How are you trying to make the world a better place? And that's really the point of mission and vision. Um, you know, without it really, all you're just trying to do is make a buck. Um, and that doesn't lead you to successful outcomes, um, you know, either in terms of your pocketbook or your company. So I think those things are, are hugely important in what you do, uh, but they have to be more than just kind of the, we're going to be number one. Yeah, okay, what are we going to be number one with? You know, are we going to be number one in a particular demographic? Are we going to be number one in, you know, we're the, the most popular bank with millennials or we're solving this particular problem or whatever it happens to be. Now, the other side to it is that we're super tempted to ignore the concept of mission and vision when it comes to internal products. And in a lot of ways, that's even more important because the economics aren't obvious. And it's really helpful to make those economics obvious um, by having that mission and vision. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand coming from a traditional world. They're used to asking for you know, 10 different projects to be done in a year and each one of them may last a quarter or something like that. And you're like, how many quarters of work can you fit in a year? Well, you should have only four. Then why have you scheduled 10 quarters worth of work? Uh, right. And so the, the problem comes in when they, they all boil down to like one product team and there's no focus for that product team because they just have this random set of features. And so that mission vision focus um, really becomes a filter. Why are we taking this on? And that's that idea of, you know, what comes into the OKRs that you set. Why are we taking it on? Um, is there a purpose to it? Does it give us an economic benefit? Can we quantify the economic benefit? So yeah, definitely key. Absolutely. So Randy, I appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, with the listeners some of the anti-patterns of Agile and and at a product team level, some of the things we should be considering and, and focusing on. So before we go, um, if any of the listeners want to connect with you or if their organization needs an agile transformation, how can they get in contact? Yeah, sure. You can always look me up on LinkedIn. I'm a Randy Smith Agile Coach. It's a fairly common name, but very few of us are Agile Coaches. Um, <laughs> you can also reach out to me. Yeah, I know. Uh, you can also reach out to me at uh, Randy at SignatureAgile.com. I have my own consulting company, Signature Agile, um, mostly just because my it's, it's my own blend of agility. Like I said, I'm not a hammer looking for a nail. So Very cool. Uh, that's I'll, how you can... I'll put your LinkedIn profile and the, the website link in the show notes so they can grab, grab that. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on. That was Randy Smith, Agile coach and owner of Signature Agile. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you got a lot out of what, what Randy had to say and have some takeaways. If your organization isn't as agile as it should be, hopefully you can take some of what Randy said and start uh, leading up through your organization to, to try to help make positive change. And don't forget to sign up for pathtoproduct.io. If you're an aspiring product manager, we developed a really great course to give you hands-on experience that you need to be able to do well in the interviews and get the job offer that you're looking for. And if you're an experienced PM and want to give back to the community inside of Path to Product.io and help mentor 
aspiring product managers, we'd love to have you there too. It's path number two product.io.